You'll find a few Bibles that you can use to follow our scripture reading this morning. It is from the third chapter of the book of James. And we will read together the uh, first, or rather the 13th through the 18th verses. Or you can follow, of course, in your bulletin. It is also printed there. Beginning at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, and then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. May the Lord bless to our hearts and minds the required. Let's stand, please. You know, that choir is getting better and better. And uh, also, Norm Sanders, we're glad to see you and Cheryl here today. We're happy and hope you'll be back to visit with us often. We hope you'll join us. If anyone else is interested, we'll be glad to talk to you, too. We must have had a lot of money today. <laughs> here comes the deacon. Thank you. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father, we return our praise to you for all of the good gifts which you give to us more than we've ever, ever, ever deserved. We praise you for all of your mercy and ask only that you will create within us a desire to serve you lovingly and faithfully day after day, year after year, being your good, true servant. Take the gifts which we bring and bless them and superintend their use. Grant that they may glorify the name of the Lord Jesus and help us now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts might be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Thank you. We got all these flowers up here today. Penny's got uh, this rose. We didn't have any blue rose. It was a little boy. Uh, this is a pink rose, but it's got a good testimony. Uh, it came from Scotland, and the name of that rose is Amazing Grace. The grower, Anderson of Aberdeen's, uh, where they uh, produced that bush, um, heard the Scottish Piper version of the uh, hymn Amazing Grace and named that rose Amazing Grace, and I got uh, one of the bushes and have it at the house. This is a little more complicated to explain. These are Gerber daisies. And uh, they came from Africa, not these, but the uh, species. And uh, one of the interesting things about a certain section of Africa is that in the midst of the Libyan desert, which is one of the most 
arid places on the face of the planet Earth. There are pilots who fly over it and point out one place where scientists have gone and been able to sink down wells and to tap into water and to bring it to the surface. And as an example of what can happen when you get the right amount of water and the sunshine, of course, is always there, uh, you are able to produce this speck of green, this island of green, this oasis of lush, gorgeous vegetation that comes there. And as an example of it, they grow many beautiful and wonderful uh, fruits, flowers, produce of many kinds. This morning, when Lloyd was teaching you, teaching the children about the uh, work that God's Spirit has to do in our life, I thought about the fact that the Holy Spirit is often symbolized in Scripture as living, flowing water. Without water, uh, flowers die. All of those of us who try to grow them understand this very quickly. And this Gerber daisy is one of them. Uh, it requires a lot of moisture. It produces a beautiful flower. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can come into this arid area of our lives and bring out of those lives uh, truth and beauty and the joys that should be there that we'll be looking at this morning. Let me uh, recall for the benefit of the visitors and the people who are listening on the radio what we've been doing. We have been studying through the very practical epistle of James. James who spent more than 30 years in Jerusalem. James the brother of our Lord. James the practical teacher. James the one who insisted that our Christian faith should be worked out in our day-by-day -day walk and life. Dwight L. Moody used to say every Bible ought to be bound in leather, but it ought to be shoe leather, that you ought to walk it and live it day after day. And James would have liked Dwight L. Moody very much because James speaks powerfully right to the point. Last week we got into the lesson on the tongue. I never feel more guilty when I have to, than when I have to preach on the tongue. It's hard for any of us to control our tongue. Who can control it? Listen to these words just again. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers. Uh, this, by the way, uh, means that a novice teacher, a new teacher, it's characteristic of him uh, to become so exuberant about the words that he uses that he does not live what he teaches. And so James is saying, be careful. You're going to be held to a stricter accountability. Remember the words of our blessed Lord, who said, by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. If you presume to teach others, then you're going to have to live it yourself and give a strict account for it. And the mark of an immature teacher is that he talks beyond his experience. And James warns against this. They didn't meet in assemblies such as we meet here with a more formal type of worship, but they met in, uh, probably in houses, in a room, and one would have a word of prophecy to give, someone else a hymn that might be uh, sung, and they would share. And there was always, and there always is in the church as every place else, 
a desire to display to others our effectiveness or our gifts. And maybe they're not so much gifts as we think they are sometimes. And uh, others have this inflicted upon them. So James is saying, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. Uh, last Sunday when the service was over and I went to the door, there were many people who were commenting about the uh, responsible use of the tongue. And I told them that when I was a little boy, I never hear the expression anymore about stropping a razor. But believe me, my grandfather had a razor strap, and he stropped a, a straight-edge razor on that thing, and he would shave with it. But it was also used for another purpose. <laughs> it was used as a, an instrument of discipline in our house. And when I preach on the tongue, I feel like I used to as a little boy, uh, when I'd done something that I knew was terrible and wrong, to go get the razor strap and go in there and hand it up to mom and say, let's get this over with. Uh, when you preach on the tongue, it hits us all. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man able to keep the whole body in check. We, and then he goes on, we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, and we can make them obey. We can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example, although they are so large or driven by a strong wind, they are steered by a very small rudder. You see these enormous aircraft carriers now and think of the rudder that drives them. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil, among the parts of the body, it corrupts the whole person and sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. What a terrible, devastating thing happens. Now, the reason that I reiterated this teaching today is that when you see a forest fire and it burns out an area of the forest, it takes years for those trees to come back. Years. You can devastate someone's character. You can do damage that you never, never, never intended to inflict upon another person. A person who took a cigarette and flipped it out the door of the car and started a fire that burns down trees that have been growing for uh, over a hundred years and burns up a forest. James is saying this is what you've got to be careful for. You must be responsible. Don't destroy the fellowship in the church. Don't destroy each other. And then he goes on. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. I did not comment about uh, the tongue is a restless evil, but here is a wild animal pacing back and forth in a cage, a huge lion just waiting for the keeper to be careless for a minute so that he can pounce out. And James says, your tongue is like that. Your tongue is like that. And he wants you to keep that in mind. He says it's full of deadly poison, like the bite of a snake. It can inject poison and cause all manner of harm. When with the tongue we praise our Lord, our Father, 
With it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. He had started off his epistle by telling us of God the Father, of speaking of brothers, of our family responsibility to one another, not to show partiality, also to care for the needy. Pure religion and undefiled is this, to visit the widows and orphans in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world, the demands of a holy life. And then he goes on, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grape vine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. You can't sweeten bitter water. And so James is saying we ought to, to have the Holy Spirit producing in us that which is true and consistent and faithful. Now he goes on to help us to understand that the key to keeping that tongue under control has to be wisdom. Without sounding any trumpets, James introduces the third of his leading topics here because he's going to talk about wisdom. He's going to talk about a life, a life that's under the control of God, possessing a quality of goodness. Who is wise and understanding among you? Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good life, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. By his good life, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Let me tell you a little story that I, I think will be of interest to you and illustrate the point. Uh, the day that President Kennedy was killed, I came back to my office. That was November the 22nd, 1963. I remember getting a telephone call from Winifred Wood, Dr. Bell's secretary. And she said, the, we all knew the president was in Dallas, and she said, Calvin, the president has been shot. And I laughed. I said, you're kidding. And then she burst into tears, weeping. And she said, no, I'm not. Turn the radio on. And I had a little transistor radio on. I turned it on, and sure enough, the president had been shot in Dallas. He was not yet uh, uh, announced as dead at that time. I remember leaving here and calling Billy Graham, who was out at the golf course with some other friends playing golf. We went down to the radio station, uh, WMIT, and we went into the studio and waited for the reports from Dallas. And I still remember T.W. Wilson coming to the window of the studio. Billy and I had gone into the studio where it was quiet. We were talking about what had happened. And T.W. held up a, a, a piece of stationery that had on it, he's dead. And then Billy made the announcement, and he said to me, why don't you read something from the scripture, and then let's pray. And he went on the air live. I still have that tape of that broadcast that day. And there came to my mind to read what I could remember from history, having been read on the occasion when Victoria 
as a very young woman, I believe 16, was awakened and told that her uncle had died and she was now queen of the British Empire. And this was the scripture that the prime minister read to her. And Solomon went up there before the Lord to the brazen altar, which was at the tent of meeting. And he offered a thousand burnt offerings upon it. In that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said to God, Thou hast dealt with my father David with great loving kindness and hast made me king in this place. And now, O Lord God, thy promise to my father David is fulfilled, for thou hast made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Now this is the prayer. Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this thy people, for who can rule this great people of thine? And God said to Solomon, because you have had this in your heart and did not ask for riches or wealth or honor or the life of those who hate you, nor have you even asked for long life, but you have asked for yourself wisdom and knowledge that you may rule my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge have been granted to you, and I will give you riches and wealth such as none other king who were before you has possessed, nor those who will come after you. Now then, when uh, later in the year when Billy made the sermon at the inaugural of the present, when Mr. Johnson was elected president in his own right, he used that very same passage of scripture in that address. And the secretary to the president, a lady whom I knew, told me once when I was visiting there that the president had been so impressed with those words from Chronicles, the prayer for wisdom, that he came back to the White House, took his inaugural address, and said, look that passage of scripture up and put it into my inaugural address. That gave it to history. It's a good prayer, a prayer for wisdom. And this is what James is pleading for here. Who is wise and understanding among you? We pray for wisdom. We pray for understanding. If we have wisdom and understanding, it has to be reflected in life by his good life. Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And then he cautioned. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. You know the truth. Do the truth, said James. This wisdom is not such as comes down from above, that is the bitter jealousy and the selfish ambition in your heart. Last week when I was looking at the television and watching the uh, events in Russia, we saw one of the marvelous churches that had been built by uh, Ivan the Terrible. He loved it so much and thought it was so beautiful that he had the eyes of the architect poked out so that he couldn't reproduce it for anyone else. Bitter jealousy, Boris Gudunov, another one of the czars who, who, in a fit of rage at one of his sons who did something that he did not like, 
took a steel, a steel tip uh, staff and struck him in the head and killed him. Bitter jealousy that always wrecks the fellowship. That's wisdom that does not come down from above. It is earthly, it is unspiritual, it is devilish. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, this is what happens to the church. There will be disorder and every vile practice. But now what is the wisdom for which we should pray? The wisdom from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, without uncertainty or insincerity, and the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so he brings to us this. The characteristics of this, to produce in us pure, blessed are the pure in heart, said Jesus, for they shall see God. And Jesus cautioned, don't let people see you on the street and call you rabbi, 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 or master, 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 teacher, teacher, teacher. Don't, don't be stuck on yourself. But Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And James insists that the mark of a converted man is a reshaped life. I remember one of my pastor friends who worked in the coal fields telling me of a man in the coal fields who had a horrible reputation for the vilest possible forms of obscenity and blasphemy and profanity. And he had been marvelously converted in one of the little churches in the coal field. And everyone looked for the first opportunity when he would become angry to see if he would lose his newfound religion. And so one of the men put something on the track. They had to push coal cars then by hand and put it in such a way that when the man who had filled his car full of coal and was pushing it in the mine, pushed it, and it hit the obstacle on the track and tilted over and spilled. After all that hard, miserable, dusty, hot work, and they looked for him to turn and rage in fury at the people who had done it and to turn the air purple with his curse words. But instead of this, they saw him grip himself and utter a prayer to God from the Psalms, Oh God! Set a watch on my lips. Keep my mouth. You see, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The Holy Spirit was bringing that fruit of purity in him. He was bringing peace-loving. Peace. The word there in Greek is irene. Uh, it's irenical. You speak of certain people as an irenic spirit, someone who promotes peace, does not seek to uh, start fights, but rather tries to look at a person and see what's the best in that person and look in this one and see what's the best in that person and then pull those two good things out together 
and try to promote from that uh, peace, peace-loving. And uh, this is one reason it's so difficult in the world. It's far easier for us to talk about uh, disarmament than it is to seek peace in our heart, and I'm not opposed to disarmament. Uh, wars and rumors of war, these are big things, but we have to get down inside ourselves too. Gentle. This wisdom from above is pure, it is peace-loving, it is gentle. And the word there for gentle is the same word that Jesus is speaking of when he wants us to be meek. And meek is power under control. Uh, it's that our, our lives are being tamed by the Holy Spirit, and uh, we are gentle. The word here really comes from, it's a teaching word. It has to do with a teacher who can teach in such a way that even when you get all angry and upset, he keeps his cool, and he can disarm you without making you angry at him. Uh, that's the gentleness that's being spoken of there. It's a, a gentleness that comes about in that way. It's the art of effective persuasion and communication that comes in gentleness there. It's a teacher. Uh, I remember once having an argument with one of my teachers, and um, it was, um, oh, he's written a lot of books, a very famous man. I was probably wrong, but I didn't like his attitude. He, he, um, he told me I was too dumb to understand what he was trying to say. And I probably was. But uh, that, that's not the way really to teach you. Just to, to cut you down and say you're too stupid to understand what I'm trying to say. That's about all I remember about him. Uh, and you don't want to be remembered that way. Uh, the gentle here is a teacher who can teach you in this right way. And that's a wisdom that James wants you to pray for, and me to pray for. And he wants, to, wants us to pray for uh, being approachable or reasonable. He wants us to pray for mercy. The Beatitudes are all reflected in these. Uh, he, Blessed are the merciful, said Jesus, for they shall obtain mercy. He wants us to be impartial. He wants us to be unhypocritical. There are seven virtues there. Pure, peace-loving, gentle, reasonable, merciful, impartial, and uncritical. Uh, unhypocritical. Uh, a hypocrite was an actor. In the time in which James was writing, if a person put a mask on and it had a sad face with the corners turned down, uh, then he came out with that sadness. If he was to play a happy character, he just picked up another mask with a smile on it and came out. And that was uh, the word from which we get our word hypocrite. It's an actor who acts a certain way in order to get something out of us. And so James is saying here that we are to be uh, pure, we're to be pure, but the wisdom that comes from heaven, from above, is first of all pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and of good fruit, impartial and sincere, without falseness. And then what does he say about it? Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. 
That's the wisdom for which James desires us to pray and the wisdom which could really revolutionize us all and the church. I want us to bow in prayer. And then I'm going to give the invitation hymn. Now listen, this is the prayer. I'm going to put it just like I got it from reading and hearing the prayer that Francis of Assisi has attributed to him. Listen carefully. Make it your own. I'll make it mine. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, let me sow pardon. Where there is doubt, let me sow faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying, meaning dying to ourself, that we are born to eternal life. And now, our Father, we pray that you will help us not to just think of these beautiful, beautiful words as matchless and golden thoughts, so nice to be spoken of in church, but so impractical to be lived out when we go out of the door. But instead, help us to pray it in and work it out. Help us to know the truth of what our Lord Jesus told us. Whoever keeps his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And if someone here today has not lost his life or her life to find it again in Christ, grant that that person right now may ask him to come into their hearts and that they may have this good wisdom which comes from above and then the Holy Spirit's power to live it out in life. Help them to make it public if it please thee. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us pray. Our Father, deliver us from the conventional and contemporary wisdom which seeks its own way and which even seeks to run the church in that way. And grant that we may have that wisdom which comes from above about which we have spoken 
in which is so easy to talk about, but which means that we have to be crucified with Christ and die to self that he might live in us, and grant that we may be prompted by the Holy Spirit in the ways that will glorify you the most. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our great teacher and guide, be and abide with us all now and forevermore.